Turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 15 through 20 in a couple of moments. But um, I want to remind us that we've just come through a very important time for our church, haven't we? The celebration of our 100th year anniversary. And uh, this church has a story. And those of you who are kind of new to the congregation, you need to know a little bit about the story. You met some of the people involved. You uh, saw them. You heard some of the stories. Uh, I was thinking, John sitting over there. You've got a story in your life, don't you? Your family. Could you tell your life story without mentioning the time you've spent in Italy? Wouldn't be complete, would it? It's a part of who you all are as a family, you and Sherry and the kids. That's an important part. Maybe there's people here who don't know that you've been there, you know. But it's who he is. It's meaningful. A church has a story. The gospel has a story. Your life has a story, and it's how you blend it together with your brothers and sisters in Christ. What an important time it is to understand the story. But then to go on realizing our task now is not to just keep looking over our shoulders, but to know what we're going to do to shape and craft the story that is yet being written. The next, God knows, <laughs> but how many years there will be to this church and all that's involved in that work of grace. And so when we come to Paul's letters, there is always a story beneath the letters. There's always a narrative that is there. And I'm going to read to you these marvelous verses from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. But where I want to focus are those first words of verse 18, where we read, He, that is Christ, is the head of the body, the church. That's our focus this morning in all that's going to be said. Hear the word of the Lord this morning from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might have so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of the cross. If you've been around an American city any amount of time, and if you've grown up in the church like I have, you will recognize that churches come in all shapes and sizes, don't they? Big ones, small ones, wealthy ones, poor ones, some urban, 
some rural. But with all of the differences of the composition of the congregations and where they are located and the ministry that they have, there is one thing they all share in common. That if they are the church of Jesus Christ, Christ is the head of that local congregation, the church. And that's what we share together. For you see, the church is not about us. It's about Christ. And if we are to understand the effectiveness of the church, we have to realize that. I've been reminded of the writings of Washington Irving and that marvelous story that he gave to us, you know, the legend of Sleepy Hollow, with that terrified teacher, Ichabod Crane, and the thundering hooves ridden by the headless horseman and the fear that that created in poor old Ichabod. Now, as I've read this text, what if Washington Irving had written about the headless church? Would anybody have been terrified? Would anybody have thought anything much different? You know, I think that a headless church, a church that's been severed from Christ, can function fairly well in our culture. We do the things that are respectable. We show some compassion. We show our inclusiveness. We're nice to be around. And yet we lack the power of the gospel to make a difference in the eternal dimension of the lives of people. See? Woe be unto that church that has allowed itself to be severed from its head. It might not terrify us like poor old Ichabod was terrified of the headless horseman. But it ought to send chills up and down our spine to realize that that certainly can happen in our day and age. So if our effectiveness is determined by our relationship to the head, what do we really mean by that? What are we trying to say by that? Who is this one called the Son, Jesus Christ? Well, if you read along with me in this marvelous passage you'll realize that uh, this could be a whole six months' worth of our devotional study and writing if we're Bible students at that level. Let me go back over them. I wrote them down just so I could see them myself. This passage tells us that when we think of Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God. A bit of an oxymoron there, right? An image of something invisible? 
Rather interesting. He's the firstborn of all creation. In him, all things were created and through him, they were created for him. He is before all things. In him, all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He has first place in everything. Seven, uh, 1525, excuse me, when William Tyndall was translating one of the early English Testaments, Tyndall used the term here so that he might in all things have preeminence. The old King James borrowed Tyndall's words. And it's hard to find an expression better than the preeminent Christ. Whatever else you think might be good, he is greater. He is the preeminent one. In him the fullness of God dwells. Through him God has reconciled all things to himself. And finally, he's made peace through the blood of his cross. What an outline for us to think about. This one who is the head of our church. You see, for some of us, we don't have much time to just sit around and think about the wonders of who Jesus is. You know, probably would do as well if we took some time to do that. Who is this one called Jesus? Who is he? Can we understand his headship in our lives if we fail to recognize those things we read in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20? This one we serve, this one to whom we've given our allegiance, has preeminence over anything in this world. And, and we can say that. We can mouth those words. But to commit ourselves to it, that's something far different. Something far different. So on the one hand, the effectiveness of the church is determined by our relationship to the one who is its head. I Really believe that. And I think it is that relationship that separates the church of Jesus Christ from all the other institutions that exist within the world itself. It is that which gives to us our unique mission in the world in which we live. If our effectiveness is determined by that relationship to the head, our effectiveness is also determined by the unity of the body that has Christ as its head. A unity that allows the church to be a healthy, growing, maturing body. I've been known to uh, spend a bit of time in the midst of a week reading a few things. And I read a statement this week that utterly 
changed my thinking about a lot of things. Listen to these words. It was nature's original goal to be and to proclaim God's word. It was nature's original goal to be and to proclaim God's word. But as fallen, creation is now dumb. That is, following the tenor of the text, it's mute. It has lost its voice to proclaim the wonders of God. Now, I have added to this statement. This now becomes the task of the church as the new creation of God Within the world. Not groveling in our fallenness. But claiming the wonder of being the new creation of Christ. This is who we are. And it's our task to keep allowing our lives and the ministry of this local church. To penetrate society as it proclaims the word of God through our actions, through our ministry, through our lives, in all that we do, in everything that we do. Unity is a difficult word, isn't it? Because what I think might be unity is not perhaps what you think unity is. And maybe we have to sit down and talk about that (laughs) to understand it. I know one thing. There's unity in my household, and I am the head of our house. Because I asked Gail if I could be, and she said it was okay. (laughs) We have achieved unity. At a certain price, but there's unity. (laughs) I won't go on. We'll just leave it there. Thank goodness she's in the library. But you see, to have Christ as our head makes certain demands, not just upon the church, but upon what the church is, individuals like you and me who comprise the church. So that this headship of Christ reaches me, and it reaches you, and it transforms who we are, and it transforms how we think of ministry within this world. I'm going to take a risk this morning. I didn't have this plan, but here we go. There might be some in the congregation who would say, you know, hmm, I don't know if this fall festival is a thing I want to participate in. Fine, fine, let's get. But do you believe that it could become a ministry to our community? That becomes the issue. Can I pray that God could somehow begin to use the ministry of a fall festival? To reach people with the love of Jesus. We could say the same thing about a mission trip to Mexico. 
We could say the same thing about a faith promise convention. All of those things tied together. What we're after is not merely program, but program that can be used by the presence of Jesus Christ to transform lives for the sake of righteousness in our world. That's what we're after, you see. That's what we're after. And, and my dear friends, listen to me. Do you realize sometimes we'll do better at that than at other times? Amen. You see? But we're trying to make a difference. We're trying to allow the grace of God to move into our world and grasp people where they need to be grasped at the point of their deepest spiritual need. Because, you see, men and women still have spiritual needs, even in an enlightened culture like ours. And it is this sense of newness that makes the difference, because the church is the reflection of what God wants to do to transform the world. And if we don't share that vision together then God help us because we've missed the point. That's who we are. And he is the head of the body, the church. Not because we say it's okay for him to be, because he's going to be the head of the church, my brothers and sisters, whether we want him to or not. That's bottom line. The point is, will we allow him in our case, to fill that necessary place that we might be empowered to do ministry in a world that so desperately needs to know who Jesus really is. So there's this sense of the effectiveness of the church being determined by its head. And there is this sense of the effectiveness of the church being identified by the unity that we have as a body of believers, an expression of God's new creation within the world. But there's that third thing that determines effectiveness. From this text. And it is the fact that our effectiveness is grounded in the cross of Jesus Christ, which brings with it the reconciling power of God. Now, the beauty of this text is that term reconciliation. Reconciliation is a very strong term because it attempts to bring together. Groups that oppose one another, where there might be a spirit of enmity, or at least indifference. For we really don't want to have anything in that sense of being together.
And yet God shows us what that reconciling power is like. I'm reminded of what Paul wrote to the church at Rome in chapter 5. When he told us that God demonstrated his love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, he didn't demonstrate his love to us when we all had it down really good. (laughs) And we just kind of dressed ourselves up really nice and we knew all the right things to say. And we had that kind of social acceptability that made us look nice. No. While we were unworthy, while we were at enmity with God, He reconciled us and made peace through the blood of the cross of Jesus. What a marvelous statement. What a marvelous truth. You see, God doesn't really care. Well, maybe I better take a step back. He might. No, God doesn't really care about the programs we fashion as long as we're attempting to do them to his glory. There can be some really odd things done in the name of Jesus, at least odd from our perspective. But are we doing it to allow ministry to go forth to transform the lives of men and women? You see, that's why we're here. That's why we've joined ourselves together as brothers and sisters in Christ, with Christ as the head, so that we can begin to influence people. Because nature has lost its voice Due to the power of sin. And we have found redemption through Christ. To make a difference. In our world. I'm overwhelmed at times with this word peace. Now peace is not merely. The absence of conflict or warfare. The Hebrew word shalom had a sense of well-being, had a sense of, of being complete. It was more than just the absence of conflict. And what we have in Christ is perhaps for the first time in our lives recognizing that we don't have to bear the burdens of our lives all by ourselves, that we can, if you please, relax in His grace, in the peace that He has provided for us through that one who is the head of the church. And it is in that moment when we recognize the power of Christ To give us peace. 
that we begin to recognize what this thing called salvation, this thing called reconciliation, is all about. We don't have to keep struggling with a broken, frustrating past. We can give it to Him. Amen. We don't have to carry it by ourselves. Did you read Pilgrim's Progress? <laughs> Do you remember Christian on his way to the eternal city with that burden on his back? And there comes that moment when we're told that he was able just to lay it down. Give it to Jesus. Not only was his journey lightened, but he gained a new understanding of his own strength and ability in Christ. You see, the story behind Colossians 1, 15 to 20 is the story of the life of every believer who needs to know the power of reconciliation, that we might allow Jesus Christ to be the head of the body, which is the church. And it is in that moment when we find that sense of newness of life that gives to us a deeper hope and a deeper satisfaction in living than we've ever known before. A part of the story of the new world, a part of the story of the development of the United States, you know, is that story of the rugged individualist. That I can make my own way in this world and I can do my thing and I can please myself. Because, you know, we've convinced ourselves that it's biblical that God helps those who help themselves. Find that one in the text. Oh, I don't ever want to put a limit on what we must do to rectify the things we have done. But there comes that moment when we can do no more. And we have to accept the grace of God <clears throat> to make all things new in our lives. Those aren't just pious words, my brothers and sisters. They are the reality of the gospel. That in this one who is the visible image of the invisible God, in this one who not only created but served as the one for whom creation was made. In this one who is the firstborn from the dead. In this one. We find our hope for all of the tomorrows we will ever know. What we must do, brothers and sisters, to understand the church. Is to understand that we function together. 
as people who have Christ as our head. And the glory of our worship is not the facility in which we worship. I thank God for it. But it's not the facility. It's the one who has come to be the head of our body. Christ himself. And as we attach ourselves to the body, we gain the headship of Christ in all that we do. And for us, he makes things new. Now, before we go, we're going to do something a little bit odd and maybe a little bit uncomfortable. And before Rob comes back for us to sing our final song together, I want us to do something that we don't often do. I want us to sit alone in silence for a few moments. And I want you to think about what it means for you to be a part of a body with Christ as our head. What does that mean for you? Does it give you strength? Does it create anxiety? Does it create misunderstanding? And it'll give us something down the road to even talk about as we deal with the church. So I'm going to ask you, don't be afraid of the silence. But ask yourself the question, what does it mean for me to be a part of a body? whose head is Christ. May God bless you.